First Corinthians chapter one, as today we begin a new book, and I'm super excited about going through First Corinthians. Uh, the, I think like the primary reason I want to go through this book is because of the fact that I'm praying that God will really awaken our church to the spiritual gifts that are available to us. You know, the, the, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in one sense, this church was birthed through a word of knowledge. Someone spoke something to me that I was praying in my prayer closet that I had never told anyone. And this lady came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said, the Holy Spirit, as she's weeping, she told me the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you this. And when she told me this, that I had been praying in my secret place that I had not told anyone, I knew it was God. And then she gave me a word of wisdom. And then there were other words that were given. They were words of the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning when I woke up, you know, because I know going in, into Colombia, wherever you go, wherever it is a missions trip, and there will be opportunities for you to go. And like Mark was saying, I do encourage you. And I know it's not always possible, but I do encourage you to take a step of faith. Go out on a missions trip. Mexico's not that far. We've been invited to Nepal, uh, Cambodia in the spring, uh, maybe other opportunities you know, as you go and you open up and you're like, Lord, okay, use my life. I want you to work through me, but God will do that. It's so cool, but he'll also work in you. And when I was there, I tell you what, one night I woke up, it was two in the morning. And usually I don't wake up in the middle of the night. I'm a great sleeper. I can sleep anytime. I can sleep while I'm driving. It's amazing how much I can sleep, man. And so I woke up at two in the morning and I heard this noise in my room. And it was this boom, boom, boom all across the room to the side of the room. And all of a sudden, I just got this understanding that there was a spiritual battle going on in my room right now between angels and demons. And then what ended up happening is, boom, I got flooded with these words that God started speaking to me, scriptures that I didn't have before that were perfect. They were precise for certain situations that I was going through. Prior to going to uh, Colombia, there was this heavy, heavy situation, and I was seeking God. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? He was silent. He was not telling me anything. That moment there at 2 o'clock in the hotel room in Colombia, all of a sudden the words were coming to me as far as what I was supposed to do. Not only what I was supposed to do, but he even gave me why I want you to do it. It was completely God. He gave me words for other people. It was amazing, uh, the, the whole experience was again something that's already been stirring in my heart but God he had given me a word that when you go to Colombia there's going to be revival and we, heard, we we saw it there and my prayer is that we'll see it here and it has to begin with me it has to begin with you and what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit when he comes in and he starts working his gifts we're no longer just a church of men to see what men can do and what money can buy. We're a church that ends up discovering what the Holy Spirit can do. But you have to be open. You have to understand that it's a supernatural thing, that it's not just a good speaker or whatever, a nice location or a sound system. No, it's the Holy Spirit working. And as he works, then people end up getting touched and people end up getting changed. And God raises up evangelists and pastors. And it's an amazing thing. And so this morning, I woke up and I didn't even know how to pray and then God just said you know what you're done 
you need to pray in tongues. And I just started praying in tongues. That's not the first time I've done that, but I had been neglecting that gift because the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that when you don't know what to pray, then the Holy Spirit gives you utterance. And the next thing you know, he knows what to pray and he starts praying for you. But do you understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available for us today what gifts do you have? What steps of faith have you taken? Have you discovered your gifts? Have you developed them? Have you deployed them? And this is why I, I know the Lord just said, this is the book that you need to go through. Because in chapter 12, we're going to get to the gifts of the Spirit. And you don't have to necessarily wait until we get to chapter 12 to start exercising them. The Holy Spirit can unleash His power and His work at any time. But as we work our way through this book, we're going to see that God, what he wants to do is he wants to clean house. He wants to make us holy. The Holy Spirit will work when we have a heart to be holy. You know, if you're here and you're sleeping with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you don't want to change. My, my prayer is that you would want to change. My prayer is that you'd wait until you get married because that was created for marriage. That is something that bonds two people together for the rest of their life. And so, you know, I, I don't want you to come, let's just say you're struggling with porn or drinking or crystal meth or sexual identity, whatever it might be, you know, and I don't want you to come and think, well, I'm not going to go back to that church because they don't want me. No, we want you. We love you. God can set you free. That's what we, our prayer is. But if you have no interest in that, if you don't want to change, if you want to sit here in your sin, then what you're doing is you're hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you here want to see the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way? Don't you guys want that? Wouldn't that be exciting? More exciting than the most exciting ride at Magic Mountain, I'm telling you, man. Better than whitewater rafting. When I got saved, 1989, it's been nothing less than a great adventure. But I am not going to sit back and think, okay, well, now I'm going to put it in cruise control. And, you know, God's going to, you know, he's paying the bills. We're good. We're content. Absolutely not. Don't you want everything that God wants to do? I know you do. But we have to be holy we have to believe. We have to have childlike faith. Who said that tongues cease? Who said that the interpretations of tongues has ceased or words of knowledge or wisdom or prophecy or healing? God will work, and I've seen him work. I've seen him make the lame walk. I saw it in uh, Cambodia. I saw it in Nepal. Why can't we see it here? Because a lot of times I think we don't have faith. We got doctors, we got medicine, we got money, we got comfort. Listen, we have to just have the faith of a child, faith of a mustard seed. That's all it takes. Believe and you watch what God will do. But until then, what we see in 1 Corinthians is that Paul, he's dealing with them. They're struggling with different things. And what he wants to do is he wants to clean house and one of the principles you'll see in the Bible is that before you can put on the new man, you have to put off the old man, right? Before you can ask, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be emptied of self. And so he starts cleaning house. He starts dealing with issues. It's an amazing thing that God actually planted a church in Corinth. It's almost more amazing than God planting a church in Almani. Can you believe it, man? No, I'm just joking. Chapter 1, look at verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. 
Now, verses 1 through 3, they, they're the greeting. It's written by Paul. He's an apostle. And, and it's by the will of God. That's the only way we can be anything that God wants us to be effectively. But notice he mentions this gentleman named Sosthenes. Now, the church in Corinth was planted in Paul's second missionary journey. You go back to the book of Acts, chapter 18, and you'll find that he went to Corinth after having spent time in Athens, and he was there in Corinth for 18 months. While he's there preaching the gospel for three weeks in Corinth, the leader of the synagogue, his name is Crispus, he gets saved. So Crispus gets replaced by this guy named Sosthenes. Now Sosthenes doesn't like the work that God is doing, and so what he ends up doing is sending uh, Paul, bringing Paul to the magistrate. He brings him to court, and as they're there, this guy Sosthenes, he's all upset. I can't believe this guy Paul. Look what he's doing. The, the leader, the magistrate, Gallio, he said, I don't want anything to do with the Jewish law thing. And he dismissed the case. And so what happened after that was the Greeks came and they beat Sosthenes down. They beat him up. It wasn't the Christians. It was the Greeks. Okay. And so you, you look at that whole scenario, you know, coming against Paul, then getting beat up by the Greeks. And what are you thinking? You're thinking, well, there's no way this guy's ever going to get saved. But he got saved. We believe, most teachers believe, this is the same guy. And what he's going to do now, he's going to go back to Corinth and he's going to take the letter for them. And so, you know, for us, the, one of the lessons is, have you guys ever heard that saying? If you throw a rock at a pack of uh, dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. Have you guys ever heard that saying? You guys don't throw rocks at dogs. I know some of you are already mad at me. But I'm just saying that that's kind of how it works sometimes. The one who's most antagonistic, the one who will come against you, the one who starts, you know, talking stuff, uh, a lot of times they're the one that's getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. And, and the lesson is, listen, no one's beyond God's salvation power. And so here, it, to me, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful that this letter is written by Paul, and, and here's Sosthenes mentioned in the greeting, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. How many of you here have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'm all messed up. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. The moment you do that, you're saved. You're destined for heaven. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You have entered into a relationship with God. And you are now, as you call on the name of the Lord, you're a saint. That's what it says right there. Saint David. You guys can start addressing him as that. You know, you don't have to be canonized by the church. Absolutely not, right? At the end of the day, there's only two types of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. Okay, good. So you guys know this. And the, the greeting is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus 
that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. I mean, he knew they were saved. And so after the greeting comes the gratitude. I thank God always concerning you. Verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless. That's so cool. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul here is, is grateful for the work that God has done. You know, Corinth uh, was a pretty bad uh, place. Uh, some of you guys, maybe you might look at the geography and you might realize that it was this little isthmus. It was about a, a little less than four miles wide right there where the, they would come from ships all around the world in Asia or even in Greece. And there was a, what they would do is they would come to this port. They would unload their cargo and then they would take it to the other side and then they would go off to Rome. Sometimes the ships were small enough. They would take the ships and they would actually put them on rollers and they would go across this little section. Eventually, what they did is they, they dug a canal. But just to, to, to let you know that everybody around the world would go there. And so you have everything. It was a smorgasbord and it was known for their debauchery. They were known for their drunkenness. As a matter of fact, all around the world, if you wanted to describe someone who lived a wasted life, you would say they're living like a Corinthian. There was a temple there, the temple of the goddess Aphrodite. A thousand temple prostitutes would go out every night, and what they would do is they would earn money through their prostitution, and so sexual sin was everywhere. Not only that, the, the, the Greeks and Corinth, and not too far from Athens, this place was just flooded with intellectualism. And so it was just this place, you would think it would be the last place in the world. Um, Paul had just come from Athens. He was a, a failure in one sense there. It wasn't a church planted. And so now he comes to Corinth and God does this amazing work. And so he is just grateful to God. He's grateful for their salvation. He's grateful for the fact that they come short in no gift. And one of the things you're going to see about the Corinthian church is, man, they were flooded, they were gifted, but unfortunately they weren't godly. Paul here is thanking God for them, however, and he's also thanking God for them that as far as prophecy goes, they believed it. They did believe that Jesus Christ could come at any time. You notice that there in verse 7, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and sometimes, you guys, this is a side note here, as a, as a Christian or maybe a pastor, a leader, you see someone pray the prayer, you see them, you know, maybe go forward. You're not really sure if they're saved or not. You know, sometimes it takes time and then you get to see the fruit. But when you see it's a genuine conversion, you're grateful to God. And that's what Paul is right here as he starts his letter. You know, he's wise. He doesn't just, you know, immediately get into beating them down. You know, he's just giving him the nice, gracious greeting and then giving him the whole thing as far as I am grateful to God for what he's done. And, you know, for me, same thing here. I'm grateful to God for what he's done. This church in Almani, the way that God has sustained us, the beautiful people that he's brought, I am so grateful to God. But listen, we have a lot of growing to do. We have a lot of changing to do. 
And that's where Paul then deals with this in verse 10. Now he goes from the greeting and then the gratitude to the garbage. What do you guys do with garbage? You throw it out, right? Does mom do it or dad? Who does it? Dad does it. Okay, just want to make sure we know that. Okay. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Again, although the church was very gifted, they were not very godly. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting. We're going to see in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 3, he calls them carnal. You guys are carnal, man. You're walking in the flesh. And there's a lot of Christians who are carnal. You know, before you're a Christian, you're natural. When you walk in the Spirit, you're spiritual. But anything in between, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're carnal. And that's what's going on in, in Corinth, right? And, and what we're going to see, one sign of carnality, it happens all the time like clockwork, is division among the disciples. Paul found out this was happening in the Corinthian church, and it was so ugly. What does division do? What does division do to us as a church? It weakens us, right? Uh, you know, you get a, a marriage that gets divided. It, it weakens. The families, they get divided. You know, ministries, churches get divided. It weakens us. What happens, however, if we stay united, if we're one, if we speak the same thing, if we don't allow little cliques to form, if we don't start talking smack behind people's backs, if we say no, you know, someone tries to little plant little seeds of discord and division, and what do you do? You slap them. What happens? What happens? We're like, no way. I ain't going to tolerate that. This is my church. We're one. We're imperfect, but we're united. Because together, if we're united, we will see what Almighty God can do, right? And if you have an issue with someone, where do you go? You go to that someone. You don't go behind their back and start backbiting them. The Bible talks about how seeds of discord are an abomination to God. And so that's the first sign of carnality. They were there and there were divisions taking place. And they started lining up behind uh, different people. John Corson said, If churches were graded, the church at Corinth would be given a D for divided, defiled, and defamed. To me, when I think of division, I think of it like cancer. And not only is it ugly and hideous and lethal, but it's common. And we have to break that mold. We have to say, No, not in my house, not in my marriage. Not in my church. 
That's what we see Paul here is saying, absolutely not. You know, let me ask you a question. When the disciples divide, when the body of Christ is cut, who bleeds? Jesus does, right? You know, when I was in Colombia, I was talking to one brother who told me about the church his dad pastored. At one time, there were 4,000 people, and God was doing a great work. But then someone in the leadership caused division, and some of the people started following that person who then went and started his own church. But eventually, his two true colors showed a divisive and rebellious spirit. And all those people who followed him, they were all scattered. See, it all began with talk. It all began with secret conversations. Let me see who I can get on my side. And that's why in verse 10, Paul pleads with them. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. At the end of the day, we follow Jesus. Every single one of us. You know, some are saying, well, I follow Paul, you know, because he's like the founder of the church. And others are saying, well, I follow Apollos because, man, I dig the way that guy teaches. He's so eloquent. He's so intellectual. And others are saying, well, no, I, I follow Peter because, you know, he was one of the original guys. And besides, Jesus a fisherman. So when he breaks it down, it's real easy to understand and practical. Listen, we don't follow any man. We all follow the same one. We follow Jesus Christ. We're not Lutherans who follow Martin Luther. We're not, you know, um, Methodists who follow John Wesley. You know, we're not. We're not um, Baptists who follow John the Baptist. Listen, we're not like that, right? <laughs> we follow Jesus. Right here he talks about that. Verse uh, 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul the one crucified uh, for you? Or were you baptized in the name of, of Paul? He says, absolutely not. When you're baptized, Mark was talking about it, how it's an outward expression of an inward work. But not only that, the word in the Greek, it talks about being dipped. And so literally, when you're baptized, you are identifying, you are identifying with Jesus Christ. You're telling the whole wide world, I'm not ashamed. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you, but it's something that God wants us to do as a public testimony of that inward work that has taken place. And so when we were baptized, we weren't baptized to Paul or, or you know, these guys, Apollos or Cephas. No, we were baptized in the name of Christ. And then he goes on and elaborates a little bit about baptism. One of the things that is interesting about this section right here is what Paul says there in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And so here's something interesting. Every once in a while, you might get someone who says to you, well, in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. Listen, if baptism saved you, Paul would have been the first one to say, hey, get over here. We're going to dunk you in water right now, right? But he said, listen, God didn't send me to baptize. See, baptism doesn't save you. That's the work of men. That's the cross. It's the blood. It's believing in the gospel that saves you. And that's why he says right here, that's what I was sent to do, to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What is he talking about there? He's talking about how sometimes preachers, they, they rely on their eloquence. They rely on their delivery. Some of those guys even rely on their own righteousness. And you know what that does? It gets in the way of the gospel. 
our reliance and the power lies in, not in the messenger, not in the way that the messenger presents the message. Our power, salvation takes place by the power of the gospel itself. And he goes on and he talks about this. Look at verse 18. For, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, and as you go through this chapter, again, I, I see like the greeting, I see the gratitude. I see right here as Paul is sharing, you know, eventually he comes to this beautiful thing in which he's actually telling them to take out the garbage and I want you to shout out the gospel. You know, the, the, the you go to the guy who's smart. He's got a PhD. He's a graduate from an Ivy League school. He doesn't know how to hold his marriage together. He doesn't have a clue how he can help his son who's addicted to crystal meth. He doesn't know what love is and he doesn't have a way to fill the void within his heart. And you come, and a lot of you here, we haven't necessarily graduated from college, right? But we have the wisdom of God, we have the gospel of God, and we go to that individual who is so smart, who's so wise, who has so much money, and we share with him the fact that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross for them. You know, and you might think as you're going to that individual, a lot of times we're thinking, well, I better, you know, tell him in a really smart way. And, and you know, again, apologetics has their place. But I'm telling you what, you know, when you go with the gospel, you go with the blood, you go with the cross and the resurrection, you go and you tell him all you got to do is turn from your sin, return to God, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the God of the universe will come into your life. You know, maybe you're here today and you haven't yet done that. I tell you what, the God who, make, who made everything, who spoke the universe into existence by the power of his word, he is here to come into your life. All you have to do is pray that prayer. All you have to do is believe. And the moment you do, you're saved. You see, in Corinth, in Athens, in this Greek you know, mentality, there was the, the wisdom of the world and, you know, it, didn't, it doesn't get us anywhere, right? When you look at the wisdom of the world, what we find is, man, it hasn't really given us the things that we thought it might, right? I mean, if you think about the wisdom of the world, it, it hasn't done a lot of good. We only have more war or potential for more war, anxiety, depression, uh, suicide, homicide, 
You know, evolution has taught us that we're from animals. We might as well act like animals. Technology has taught us to spend more time interacting with our screens and our phones and our iPads and our computers and our televisions and the movies than it does with people. Science has given us the capacity for nuclear weapons and with the push of a button we can kill hundreds of thousands and then eventually millions of people. That's the wisdom of this world. They don't, they don't have the way to know God. That's what he's saying right here. Where, where is the, the wisdom of the world? And then you get into people like, well, okay, well, what about the religious people? What about the Jews? What about the rules and regulations? What about that? And the gospel is a stumbling block to them because it's too easy. Don't you have to do the sacraments? Don't you have to do the ceremonies? Don't you have to dot your I's and cross your T's and make sure you behave yourself in order to get to heaven? Absolutely not. You've got to believe. And once you believe, God comes in, then he gives you the capacity to then obey. And what ends up happening a lot of times is the, the religion gets in the way, the intellectualism gets in the way. And Paul says, when I went to Corinth, I was tempted to try to speak your language. But when I got there, we're going to see later, I got there with fear and trembling and he determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's why the enemy doesn't want you to say the name of Jesus because he knows there's power in his name. And so in looking at this, it's so interesting to me how we have the greeting and then, you know, the gratitude. And then we have Paul right here sharing things, you know, taking out the garbage of division and shouting out the gospel. And then he closes with this beautiful message of grace because he says there in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not. That's a trip. The things which are not. Well, in the Greek mentality, they had this concept that these certain things were like non-existent. You know, like, that's not really there. It's a figment of my imagination. You know what? You're not even there. You don't even exist to me. And what, what, what he's saying right here is those people that are base, that are, like, non-existent, those are the ones that God ends up and saying, I call to you. And God uses their lives. What we find right here the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, I'll never forget, um, I got saved about 30 years ago. I think I was three when I got saved. And, um, no, I remember, man, that, you know, right away getting involved in, in, in church and being part of the ministry, going to Bible college. And so I remember when I was in Bible college, you know, the guy asked me to do a devotion. And this was the first text that I ever taught in my whole life, right there in verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, the not many wise, according to flesh, you know, mighty, noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world 
And little did I know, you know, that God had actually placed a calling on my life. And you might be here today and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not that smart. I can't read. I don't got it all together. I'm really nothing. I'm a loser. Listen, those are the ones that God specializes in, whoever you are. You have your handicaps. You have your deficiencies. You have your malfunctions. You have the way that you fall short. And you know what God says? Even though the world, they don't want you, I want you. And I'll use your life. And I will use your life to save lives. Because these people, and what we see, the context here, what it's speaking of, but these people in the world, they have their achievements. And I don't know what they are. Maybe they've got their foundations. Maybe they've got their acts of benevolence. But none of it's eternal. And what we find is that one day it's all going to come out. One person put it this way, God has chosen from the world those who seem foolish, weak, and helpless so that he might put to shame the wise and powerful by showing how temporary and insignificant all their accomplishments were. One day you're in heaven And there you are, you were a little prayer warrior, you thought no one ever noticed, and every single day the God of the universe heard your cries. And you were the one holding up the church, you were the one holding up the pastor. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. How many of you qualify? You know. So there's hope for us. What it is is a message of grace. And I thank God that Paul here was saying, listen, you guys got to know this whole thing. Listen, when God uses someone, whatever you do, whatever you do, please stop it. Stop glorifying men. Stop it. Men are just vessels. If God ever uses someone, please give God all the glory. That's what he's saying right here. God is, that guy right there, do you know where he would be without God? Why are you pumping him up? Why are you broadcasting his name? Why is he all that to you? Do you realize where he would be without God? Why in the world would you have the audacity to rob God of his glory? No, give the glory to God. And that's what he's saying right here. There in verse 31, that as it is written... He who glories, let him glory in who? In the Lord. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, before time began, before the foundations of the world, that you should walk in them. And so as we go through 1 Corinthians, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would do just an, an, an awesome work, you know, um, a, a work wherein that we're open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he'll lay things on your heart. And, you know, he may prompt you, you know, to take a step of faith. I don't know, get involved in ministry, go out street witnessing, speak in tongues, asking him for words of wisdom or knowledge or prophecies. And a lot of times God will put things on our heart, but we won't follow through with those things. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As a church, because my prayer is that God would just really pour out his spirit on us, give us grace and revival, is, is number one, um, take the garbage out. 
Uh, number two, as we look at this whole thing right here, what we want to do is get the gospel out. And then number three, when it comes to grace, we want to let that be what it's all about. I, I would pray that we would be expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And as we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us through his word, and sometimes we get a still small voice in our hearts, that we would be obedient, that we would listen, and that we would take steps of faith and watch what God does in our life. You know, if you're here today and maybe you've drifted away from God and you want to get right, I, I believe because the church is praying right here, right now, that the God of the universe is present. And I know, and there's no doubt in my mind, I know, I know that some of you here, you need your cup filled. Some of you here, you're, you're just running and there's nothing there. You're going through the motions. You're living your life, but you're not experiencing God and you're not living it for him. You know, you know all the answers and you might even have the theology and who knows, maybe you come every week. But you know that you are not baptized and filled and functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, he's here. Luke 11, seek, ask, knock. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so if that's you here today, open up.